Welcome to Change the Narrative. I'm your host, J.D. Fuller. I'm Susie Younger. An African-American licensed psychotherapist. I'm also a licensed therapist. We talk about the isms. We talk about the phobias. Anything that marginalizes and oppresses. As a white woman, I ask the questions white people are too afraid to ask. Everything we are not and everything we are is because of fear. Through a mental health lens, Susie and I will have difficult conversations with celebrity guests, political activists, and everyone in between. Our mind will tell us whatever we want to believe, but the truth lives in the body, and that's where change occurs. Are you ready to change the narrative? Our next guest believes that we all have within us the ability to live our dreams. According to Yvonne, she can give you the blueprint for a successful and productive life. Yvonne Victor is a certified life and business coach who transforms lives through discovery, vision, strategy, action, and accountability. She's the founder of Yvonne Victor Life Coach Life Design, she believes that we don't have to dream of the life we want, we can live it. She's an author, a dreamer, a life teacher, a speaker, a mother, and an entrepreneur. If you want the prize, run the race, she says. She's here with us today to share her secrets and tools, and we can't wait to dig in. Welcome, Yvonne. So let's just get started with some questions about who you are and, and how'd you get yeah. here. So I read that you were born and raised in South LA. Yes. Tell us about your family dynamics. Okay, so yeah, born and raised in... South LA, South Central, whatever they're calling it these days. I've been away for a while, <laughs> but born to a blue collar, you know, working family. My grandmother and her mother had immigrated from Georgia by way of Tennessee to Los Angeles back in the 30s, I believe, or even before that. That's a story in itself. And bought property here. They still had property back in Georgia where they had sharecroppers working. That's another story. And a brother had a farm who who is the our family farm is over 100 years old in Tennessee in Oliver Springs shout out <laughs> to the Hopper family and um and so they they did this migration pattern kind of ended there and it was these two women bought property my grandmother eventually got married to my grandfather and that's where that family started and the funny thing about Kevin and I is any anyone or any part of our family who lived in Los Angeles had generally come from Tennessee and had lived with my grandmother at some point and then branched off into their own, you know, bought their own homes and, and things like that. And so, so, you know, we, we had a lot of the good, bad and the ugly, you know, growing up in, I was born in 65. So raised, you know, kind of a young girl in the seventies when, you know, there was a lot of different things going on. Right. And particularly with that community. So, you know, we had some, we had some big challenges too. With some huge challenges to deal with. So did all the relatives come or was this? Pretty much. On my mom's side, pretty much all of them. So they, most of them had lived in Tennessee on the farm or different, you know, different parts near the farm or things like that. And when the war came, they were really having a hard time on the farms, even even harder than most of the nation, right? Right. And so most of them migrated. Um, They're still, my grandmother's brother, Benton and Julian stayed to run the farm and their children are still there running the farm, cattle farm. That's beautiful. Yes, beautiful. It's in the mountains. It's gorgeous. But yeah, pretty much everybody at one point. So they ended up building a, my grandmother and grandfather built a a house in the back because the lots in LA and that part of LA are very long, they're very long lots. And so they built a second house in the back. They had like an apartment, one bedroom apartment on the top a single on the bottom and like a garage space. And pretty much that's where most of the people were kind of coming through. They were either living in the main house or they were living in the back house at a point. 
when my mother got married, she had pretty much moved to the apartment with her first husband up in the back house. And then she met my father, yes, later, who was her second husband. And that's where we were raised. We were like five kids in a one bedroom, you know. Then we had cousins who I think was another brother, another brother or nephew. I don't remember who lived out in Bakersfield. They were farmers out in Bakersfield. And the mom and dad kind of died like near each other, like within months or something like that. So that was five more kids who were orphaned. So they came to live with us. So then they all lived downstairs in the studio. Then it was my grandmother and my and my cousins and my aunt who lived up in the front house. So we were, you know, you know, like 11 something kids at one point. What's coming up for me is how much that sounds like the immigration stories of people that I know and people with whom I've worked. And I think it's interesting that the African-American, the the Black community, we lost so much of that. We did. You know, through enslavement, we have a deep, rich story in history. But the story of of migration seems to have faded out and, and all the richness of what that brings. And so when we see people immigrating here, we don't have that same reflection. So that just really brought up so many feelings for me right. to hear that happen. Yeah. It's a it lot really different is. In the North. You're born in the North. You don't have those stories the same way. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. But right. like even in Los Angeles, like most of the African-American people that I know, you know, they're almost like one generation off the farm. Their families were coming from Louisiana and Texas and things like that. And they did that migration pattern, you know, that way too. And mm-hmm. so- you know. Well, so one of the dynamics that you, it seems like you're describing is the generational, you know, pattern of, of movement, growth, and expansion. Exactly. That's what it sounds like. I would agree. I yeah. would agree. Okay. I would agree. That's pretty yeah. powerful. So it's no yeah. surprise that you knew what to do in terms of growth. I mean, I just, it makes sense. Yeah. It's yeah, kind of know. natural. And I, and, and I must say, I'm my grandmother's child, as my mother reminds me daily. She goes, you're more like your grandmother than I ever thought you would be. But I spent quite a bit of time with her. I was just that kind of kid. I was that kid out of all the kids. You know, I was interested in her stories. Well, how did you get here? I don't understand. You know, like, wait a minute. Your mother was, you know, a young girl in slavery, got out of slavery. Now you're telling me you guys had property. This is not making sense, you know. Amazing. It was just two women. Like, who was the man? Like, he, he, it was them. And then you think about what kind of character these women had to have. Mm-hmm. They were up in uh, Calhoun, Georgia, to get this property or to have this property and to keep it that whole time. I don't think that they sold it until the 50s. I, I'm, I'm blown away. It is an incredible story. And, <laughs> you know, so in terms of the, the prominent themes, are there a couple that, or is there one? that you can pick out, you know, aside from migration and growth, was there anything else that was reflected upon in your growing up years? Like, you know, you said you spent a lot of time with grandma. What was the message she gave? I think she was just incredibly resilient. I think she was incredibly, incredibly resilient. I don't think that I really understood all that as a young girl. You know, the stories were just kind of fascinating. And I had, you know, the same story that a lot of people our age have of, you know, Pop, you know, cracking beans and stuff yeah, with my right. grandmother. And she would tell me some of the stories, some of the stories she was very closed about also, you know, that I just would find out later from my mother or things like that. We have, 
I'll mention this too, because I think this is this is really wild. When I really got the gist of who she was, wasn't until I was about in my 30s. And there used to be a traveling chest, a big old traveling chest from the 1800s that mm-hmm. would sit in my garage. And all we knew was don't go into the chest. Don't touch the chest. And, you know, we're kids. We're like, what's right. in the chest? Going you know, in what's the going chest. on? And, yeah, <laughs> this chest is old. It looks like a treasure, you know, is in there. What's going on? And we really literally could not, you don't dare touch the chest. And so when I was in my 30s, my first marriage, my mom's uh, garage had flooded or something. And I went to help her clean it out. And the chest is in there. We took the chest out. And I said, you know, I'm a grown woman. I'm going to see what's in this chest. You know, forget that. And I opened up the chest. And the chest is like a, a time box of everything that happened, of all these things. So there, I mean, literally, J.D., there are nails and for wood and things of when my grand, my grandmother and her mother were building the house on the property. There, mm-hmm. as, there is the deed of transfer. So the property was given to the brother, the oldest brother, okay. by the family that owned our family, by slave owners, right? The Hobbers. We, um, they not only owned us, but eventually, you know, right, there's, right. Some, there's some mixing right. going on here. Too. <laughs> we, we so know. They're, they're not only owners, they're family, right? Exactly. So <laughs> reluctantly, but really, right, yeah. right, whatever, whatever it is. And so they, um, because we are t- technically family, they gave a portion of the land at the end of slavery to the oldest brother, because okay. it would go to the man. Mm-hmm. He did. We, um, he decided to move to Tyler, Texas at a point to follow his father, which their father was an Irishman who was an indentured servant on the property. The Latins, wherever right. they are, high cousins. Right. Right. Um, <laughs> so he followed, he followed after his father and he deeded the land to his sister. So that's how the women end up owning the land. And they kept that property. They they did what they had to do. They were farmers. They ran moonshine. They did whatever. But it was like basically, you know, women running this property that any time, any man, black or white, could have come along and been like, hit the road. This is ours. But they were they were tough women, tough times. You know, she helped her mom raise her brothers and sisters. Um, these people are passing on wealth. And you kind of see this whole story in this chest right? through invoices, through deeds, like in the twenties, you know, during the flapper area, mm-hmm. era, pardon me, we have pretty long hair. Our hair grows pretty long, quick. we're like chia pets. <laughs> and my grandmother was a flapper. And in this chest is her hair where she cut her hair in a bob. And it's this long piece of hair, maybe about like that big wrapped in a newspaper from the 20s and the hair preserved perfectly. Oh my God. It is it is wild just to sit and 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 look at this chest and then put things into perspective and go, what kind of woman would you have had to be? I mean to have survived all that and thrived in the middle of it. You and know, then took care of other people, you know? Yeah. No, I, look, I'm overwhelmed by this story. I could listen to hours of it. I am going to have to shift gears <laughs> eventually, but I'm I'm riveted. And I'm also envious, you know, to have that much of your history intact and to be able to have these stories. I mean, that's fascinating. Yeah. I don't have that same experience. So that, that that's incredible. The other thing is, you know, resilience, right? It's yeah. one of those things yeah. that 
is so overused in our community. And when you said it, it made me think of that was resilience and they had to have it, but it was more to me about uh, survival. Mm -hmm. It was about about the need to survive and thrive. And they watched what the owners did. They, They were able to get those lessons and take them. And that's what's, that's what's been, you know, stolen from our community today is the ability yeah. to do that. Yes. Yeah. So that's pretty incredible that yes. they managed to make that happen. And I wonder why, you know, I mean, because I come across this in, in coaching, you know, that's the, that's the one thing I think you talk about watching what other people do and then repeat and do it for yourself. And, you know, in coaching, that's basically what I, what I tell Jeez, I'm like, look, you don't always have to recreate the wheel. Someone has done this. Mm-hmm. Watch, learn, wash and rinse, you know, wash and repeat. And let's do this. But I don't know if it's, I, I, I don't know if it's just kind of a global thing. I end up coaching a lot of African-Americans. So, mm-hmm. you know, give it, give it what it is. There seems a, a real push against that. Like, no, I have to do it my way. I don't know if it's when individualism came about, it's just overblown or what it is. I think that it has something to do with, you know, the collectivism in our community is what it is internally. But then when it comes to externally, you know, we want our own. Yeah. We want, even though it benefits to make it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that makes so much sense, though. It's steeped in a, a determination to have it be our own. I understand that. Yeah. Yeah, it makes it a lot more difficult, though, a lot bigger challenge. It really does. I it know. really does. I hear that. So it is said that you knew life for which you longed. What does it mean? You knew the life for which you longed. What did that mean? I, I was a big dreaming kind of kid. First, I was a very shy kid. And so a lot of things were internal to me, you know, my own thoughts and dreams. And I think growing up, it was so chaotic, which, you know, being a very sensitive, shy kid, that's rubbing really hard for you. You know, it's probably exaggerated in my mind. Just everything. Everything's changing. Women's roles are changing. You know, the community was changing. They're infiltrating guns and and drugs in it. And that's becoming a big problem. And, you know, it's just it was a lot of flux in the 70s. Mm-hmm. And it kind of made me really uncomfortable. And so I was always dreaming and I was a writer. So I journaled from a little girl. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just knew that the life that I was living, the life that I was seeing, that I wanted something more. I just, it felt like a, 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 a ill-fitting pair of shoes to me. Okay. Like, you know, I used to tease my parents when I was younger. I probably wasn't teasing. Kind of, you know, and I was going, was I, was I born to the wrong family? Am I supposed to be here? You know, <laughs> Pretty sure that didn't go over well. <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. Uh, you know, like, you know, I just wanted more. And so talking about migration stories, my father is from some wild stories in this family. My father is from a coal mining town in West Virginia. and. He, they, they started in West Virginia. They moved to Ohio, I believe when he was 16. And then he kind of took off on his own and, and, and did a lot of different things. But I think he was a dreamer too. I think he was a big dreamer too. 
And no, we didn't have a lot of money and things like that. Like on Saturdays, daddy would pile us into the, you know, all 11 kids into the station wagon. And he had one of those old white the station Rambler. wagons with the, the Rambler. With, with the paneling on it. <laughs> with no seatbelts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kids in no kids' laps, you know, yeah. everything. Yeah, and he would just take us for a drop. And he would drive us up into Beverly Hills and out to Santa Monica and, you know, really affluent places like that. And he wouldn't say a word. He'd play his jazz and he'd tap his wedding ring finger against the edge of the, the windowsill and he'd just drive us. You know, mommy may have made us some sandwiches or something because she just needed a break. So she was usually at home. Right. And it was daddy and all these kids in the car. <laughs> and it was just his own way of showing us a different life. Like, I might not be able to give this to you, but this doesn't have to be where you end and where you stop. Wow. And, 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 and I really appreciate that. You know, I really appreciate that to him. I think that that planted the seed in us. Like, yeah, I do want more. I do want something different. I want to live a different way. And, and that feeling never left me. It never left me until I moved to North Carolina. And I think this is yeah. was where I was supposed to be. Yeah, I'm, I'm sort of paralleling my own story in my mind as you're saying this. And uh-huh. ours was a message of hard work, but also community service. Like it, That's where it, it landed and stayed. I mean, I think every one of us ended up, large family too, family of nine, uh-huh. ended up one way or another, either in education or community service. I, I would have preferred... I would have preferred the business hunger, (laughs) (laughs) but maybe that's just at this stage in my life, (laughs) you know, when then I thought I was going to save the world. So that just, Lord, I would appreciate that business focus. (laughs) (laughs) So speaking of which, how did you propel yourself in your career into 30 years in corporate America? Yikes. Talk about resilience. Um, I do not understand. It was it was it, it uh, a matter of commitment, of extreme commitment, and I talk about it in the book. I went to college ill prepared, first to go away to college in my family. Didn't really have a lot of support financially or otherwise. I, you know, who who was going to tell me? Nobody had done it before. You know, so I didn't really have that to lean on. Right. And I ended up having to come back home after two years, and and then I became pregnant. Okay. And I, and I had my son and the day I found out that I was having my son, all bets were off. That was such a serious life-changing moment for me, you know, and I really talk about it in the book that I was, I went to Planned Parenthood to go get a pregnancy test, you know, and the lady was like, you're going to have a baby and are you going to keep it? And I just kind of looked at her for a minute and I thought about it and I said, yeah. And she's like, okay, well, you know, go do what you got to do. And I went outside. It was a bright, sunny day. Cars were going by. I remember just standing there like, I'm going to be a mom. Now, I was a regular 22-year-old. I was doing 22-year-old stuff, right? Yeah, I was having sure. a good time. Yeah. <laughs> I was having a very yeah. good time. You know, <laughs> LA, the 80s, I was having a good time, you know. And so, but it's just like all bets were off. And I was so committed to this child and to him having a better life and an easier life than I had. And it started there. And so it never mattered if I were uncomfortable. Didn't mm. matter if I, I don't know, 
was living my dream life or if I had the career of my dreams, what mattered was taking care of him and making sure he lived an excellent life. And so that, you know, I I got paid really well doing what I was doing without a college degree and I had excellent benefits. And so the thought of, well, this isn't really what you want to do. You want to be a journalist. At the time, I wanted to be a journalist, right? You want to be a journalist. You could just go do that. But it was like, yeah, but if I do that, I'm going to have less money and we'll have to move back to my mom's house. And, And I just want more for him. And, and then 10 years later, I have another child and it's almost like Groundhog's Day to have my daughter and here we go again. But it was just this burn the boat kind of commitment that I had. Like, I can wait. The mm. focus is on them right now and making sure that they get what they need and they have the experiences that they need and they're educated and, you know, whatever they need to be successful in their own right. And I'm willing to put my life on pause until that happens. Now, it's, it's, your mom it's, you know, real like yeah, you know mom. ride or die mom stuff you know mm-hmm. and so that's what it was that's mm-hmm. that's all it, it, that is that is the base that is the motivation you know until they let me off the hook and were like please go get a life we're okay we're okay that's awesome well you deserve that. you deserve yeah, that. So, so talk about your transition into becoming a business coach well so I've naturally kind of been a coach I've been that kid so I was always a kid where the other kids would come and go, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? You know, and kind of talk to me about whatever's going on, you know, and I just kind of give my opinion about things or whatever. And then as I started to work in corporate, I kind of became that go-to person also. Very inquisitive. I'm like a research, you know, kind of person. Um, If I didn't know, I was like, I'll be right back, you know, go figure it out and come back, you know, just a, a geek like that. And and so that was like naturally who I was. And then I, when I was getting uh, into the end of my career and I could just kind of feel it, you know, it was like, I'm so past my prime of doing this. What am I doing? <laughs> the kid, I, I don't want to be the mean admin lady, you know. <laughs> this is getting ridiculous. And so I started to think about, you know, my second act. And so now at this point, I'm married again. My kids are grown. They're off doing their thing in college and living their own lives in two separate states. And they're like, mom, we're good. Thank you. And so I wanted to think of what can I do for the next 20 years that I would love doing? Because now I've given 33 years of my life doing something that I really never liked doing. I did it very well, but it wasn't my dream, right? And so Mm -hmm. what can I do? For the next 20 years, that's going to give me the compensation. That's, that's my passion thing. That's going to fulfill me, you know, and all those great things that I, that I want for everybody else. Let me want them for myself. And I started to find out about coaching. I was like, well, I've always been doing that. That's kind of what I do. You know, Um, the last 20 years of my career, I worked, I worked with scientists primarily. So I started off working with astrophysicists at Jet Propulsion Laboratory. And you get you get the job if you can say astrophysicist. Yeah, I was gonna oh. say what you're talking about. <laughs> Sounds good. I have no idea. Yeah, you're like, okay, all right. And then um, you say. and then I uh, Sheldon and them, right? <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm their penny, they're my Sheldon. Yeah. And then when I moved to North Carolina, I ended up working in pharma. So I worked with uh pharmacineticists and geneticists and statisticians and all these types of scientists. Mm-hmm. So they're just kind of my, my, my group. They're my tribe, really. I don't know. 
know, they, you know, they bring out the analytical side of me. Where's that part? And, you know, I was telling you before, I really like to learn things. And, but here's the thing. They're not the most touchy, touchy, feely, feely group of people, right? Mm. No. <laughs> so it used to be like, especially when I worked for astrophysicists, I would get like the postdoc coming in, you know, and, and, and they're, this is their first job. They've been in school like forever, right? It's their first real job. They're making big money. They're starting to make major decisions in lives and, you know, have made relationships sometimes for the first time or buying homes and, they've, you know, all these things. And the management was like, you know, they had problems going on in their personal life. The management was like, I, I don't know. Go talk to Yvonne. I don't know. If you're like, you're, if you're not talking to me about science, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Go see Yvonne. And so, and then, you know, so I would just kind of help them out. And, you know, we talk about their career and have you tried this? Have you thought about this? And so this has always been who I was. And so this was the most natural fit for me. And I was like, you know, could I do this as a career? I was like, yeah. And then some other, you know, kind of divine intervention happened to give me, you know, confirm that what I was thinking, I was on the right path. And I, um, after a little, you know, some shoves from my husband and my children, like, just do it, mommy, you know. <laughs> That's great. I decided this is going to be it. This is going to be it. So here That's I am. Cool. What they say, yeah. it takes a village, right? A child, <laughs> for real. Look, that pharma money was good, right? Yeah. I, well, I don't know, but I could imagine. <laughs> I missed out on the whole corporate era. <laughs> yeah, it was just, and it was, it was scary, you know, to leave something that was very sure, even if it's not what you're doing, leave something that's very sure and you're doing really well with it and go, I'm now I'm going to step out on my own. That's good. It was time. It, it, oh, it was really time. It yeah, you paid really, your dues. I got all the signs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So you, you specialize in life transformation. Can you talk about mm -hmm. that a little bit and, and how do you find your clientele? Okay, um, so, so I'm technically a certified life and business coach, right? Mm -hmm. My view on life coaching is very holistic. I don't believe that your life is just work and personal. So that's why I have a problem with the whole work-life balance phrase. I'm like, it indicates that your 50% of your life is work and then the, and then everything else has to share this other 50%. Right, and right. I'm like, it's not. Your life is very holistic. It's about your relationships, your health, your finances. Are you having fun? You know, it's, it's different things. And so, you know, when I think about it, it's like, yeah, you might be coming to me about your career, but let's look at everything. You know, yeah, let's look at everything. Problem. Right. And, and let's look at it all holistically because, it, you know, it all affects one another. It's all symbiotic. Right. And so I, I noticed that it was never the one thing people thought it was. Mm. And so, it's like you therapy. know, so they would come and go, yeah, like mm -hmm. I hate my job. I'm ready to quit my job. I want something else. And I'm like, OK, cool, cool, cool. Settle down. You know, let's talk a little bit first. And we do like about a month of assessing things, of really digging down to get to the root of what's going on. It could be, you know, oh, I'm having problems in my marriage. And because I'm having problems in my marriage, it's tainting everything else, you know? And so I think I hate my job now because I'm miserable every day, you know, or whatever. And then you go and find that root, fix the root, the root, you know, and it, it's touching all these areas of your life. So we didn't end up just working on one thing in a person's life. We ended up working on all these parts of their lives. Okay. and transforming all these parts of their lives and putting them all into balance 
So they all worked with each other and not against each other. Yeah. And then people were just coming out the other end of my funnel, like new creatures, mm. like new creatures, you know? And I, I think that was part of my own journey. Um, when I came to North Carolina, sight unseen, kids, no job. That was another kind of divine thing that happened. And, and I just went with it, had the faith to go with it. And it was a chance for me to change my whole life, transform my whole life. And so I would say the life that I lived before coming out here was a default life. It's like most people live. It wasn't very conscious, you know? Mm-hmm. I was there because that's where I was born. That was chosen for me, you know? And then you kind of get in the grind and the hustle and you're just surviving, like you were saying. But yeah. you haven't really sat and thought, is this the life that I want? Right. Am I living where I want? Do I do what I want? Am I working where I really want? Is, are any of these my choices? Or are these reactions to something? Or just survival techniques. And I know what life looks like on that end. So I come, I come back here and nobody knows me. I get to rewrite my whole story. I get to redo things that maybe I didn't do so well before. Um, and that's what I did. And so this part of my life is completely a design. It's a very strategic design for me. And at the time for my children also, you know, of having goals of where we wanted to be and who we wanted to be and how we wanted to experience life. And then really just being creative about the whole process and making it happen, you know? And I was like, wow, if I could do it, if I can do it, anybody could do this, you know? And it was kind of like, I found this roadmap of what needed to happen to have this transformation. And so yeah, so that's that's what it's ending up being with my clients. Like, you know, we can either talk about your job or, you know, you want to buy a new house or you want to find a husband or we can talk about your life. Mm. Like, what does your life vision look like? Do you even have one? Have you even thought about it? And then we just kind of go from there. So now let's talk about your book, um, okay. about the roadmap, Unstuck. It's released in November and it's incredibly exciting. Why this book and why now? This book, so this book was <laughs> this book was not a book I intended on writing. This was not supposed to be my first book. I was having this conversation with people. So I do discovery calls, free discovery calls for people who are interested in coaching. And there's a certain conversation that needs to happen, I think, before you make that type of investment because it truly requires a lot from you, right? And at least when I'm coaching, I want to make sure everybody's clear on it. And I thought that, you know, where people were coming to me at the space they were coming to me, I'm like, "Mm, there's some things over here that you haven't considered that you need to consider. And wouldn't that be great if I could give this opportunity, at least this part, to as many people as I can? You know, let, let's have this. Con- so so I so I really wrote the book more as a conversation for me to have with as many people who would read it, you know, like consider these things because they aren't really things that people consciously think of. You know, they just know I'm stuck. I want a better life. And you go, OK, so you're 45, you know, like, <laughs> like, yeah, why aren't right. you making why aren't you making that happen? But there are some very specific things that I think that you need to sit down with yourself and understand and consider and work through before you get to the point where you're like, I'm ready to do this. 
right? So it was almost like I felt like some pre-work needed to be done, you know, it, to, to, to get the momentum going, to get people's feet out of the mud. Because, you know, you can't walk to me if you're stuck over there in the mud. You can't get to me. And I wanted more people to get to me, to be able to come this way. And um, and even my whole my whole coaching practice is kind of is kind of very segmented in phases, and you can opt in or opt out, right? So, unstuck is the first five steps of it. Is the uh, conversation uh, have this conversation, and it gently works you through, you know, these things that need to be considered to get you moving. And you can stop right there if you want, right? Mm-hmm. And at the end of the book, I give you another invitation to take, you know, some more steps. Here's here's the next part of it. And over here, you're going to get some more of it. You can opt out there, you know, and then there's a couple of more things that go. So it's not just one big chunk like, hey, come coach with me. Mm-hmm. And you're unprepared. We were, you know, I was, I was finding, I was having to go back with some of my clients and do some of this pre-work during their time in order for us to get up here. So okay. we would have to do like the mother may I, and you have to go back a couple of steps and then, you know, get some steps up here. And I was like, well, you know, at the very least, I could help people if they were willing to read the book and answer the questions and work through it, right? To at least get unstuck, like at least start moving, start thinking to just, and it's you know, not thick, it's a conversation. It's right. a conversation. Here's the crazy thing though. Um, as I get feedback about the book, I just did a survey actually with uh, people who were in my group to see how far are you making it in the group? Everybody is getting stuck on the first step, oh, wow. which makes makes me sad. The first step is permission, giving yourself permission. Mm-hmm. And it breaks my heart, mm-hmm. but it explains a lot. Well, and people... Particularly if you're talking about the African-American community, I mean, you know, this is the the penalty of of systemic racism. Yep. I mean, it's very yep. real. This is evidence. It, it, it is. You know, we're the now we're the jailer and the jailee. And it's mm-hmm. like you have the key, but that's plays such a, a a heavy role. And we're not even consciously aware that it's still working back here. Absolutely. You know, the the conversations that we're finally having about racial trauma and internalized depression, that's what you're talking about, you know, embodied in human beings who can't figure out why they can't get through that first step. That's what comes up for me when you talk about that. Yes. I think, and and it just signifies to me like a bigger conversation, really more in-depth studies, you know, go JD, uh, (laughs) need to be done about this whole you know, knowing deep in your heart that you have the the opportunity that it is your birthright to be, do, have whatever it is you want to do, that nobody can keep you from anything that you put your mind to or that you want. It's go, do it, make it happen, you know? But so many of us think, and I think I thought too at a point, you know, you, you kind of disqualify yourself. Well, that's for those people. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't have a degree. I can't do that. You know, well, I we can come up with a million different reasons why I am stuck in this same place. Why um, the people that I grew up in my neighborhood, some of them, and this, this never made sense to me. Some of them stayed, right? Some of them were in the same place, still very oppressed, still living really difficult lives. And when I would come back to visit my mom, because my family still lives there, right? 
when I would come back to visit my mom, they would see me get out the car and they'd be like, hey, sis, you know, how you doing? We're so proud of you. You know, da, 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 da. You're doing so great. You're our little superstar. And I would look and go, but like we grew up in the same neighborhood. You know, all of our mothers and fathers were raising all of us. We all had the same opportunities and the same um, tragedies and trauma. Like the same thing that I've done, you can do it too. But I don't think that translated. I don't think yeah, well, I mean, yeah. Oh, voice feedback. How's that, Kev? Is that okay? Um, okay. So, you know, I think one of the things you're talking about are mental health issues. You, you have to factor that in. People are impacted differently by the trauma and the tragedy. You know, some people have the ability and don't have the family history. Some people have the family history of mental health issues. You add racial trauma, you add yeah. uh, systems yeah. that, you know, hold us hostage by no choice of our own. It gets hard to see the forest through the trees. It does. You it know, does. and that's why, I mean, that's the whole premise of this podcast is the idea of talking about social justice and mental health and trying to um, sort of combine the two to have messages like you're offering, you know, yeah. so people can see another perspective because sometimes yeah. you just can't see past your own pain. That's true. That's true. I agree. I agree. And, you know, so I don't book isn't much. I made it really inexpensive. I was like, I really want people to sit and read this and work through it, you know, and I try to make myself available. There's a, uh, I have a free Facebook group that, you know, when you buy the book, join the group, you get to speak to me, you know, and, and I have times where I'll just do free coaching. You know, that's my gift back. People gave to me, I give back. I'm very much into community and community service yeah. like that too. I believe that, you know, altruism is a part, should be a part of everybody's life. And, um, you know, we, we I, I think sometimes we think in our, in our desire to save the world, you know, you can go become overwhelmed and go, oh my, I'm just one person. What do I do? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I can't save everybody, but so far, you know, a good deal of people have That's read that and That's you don't know how it's going to, you don't know how it's going to affect them later, you know, right. and, and how they're going to share the message, how they share the message. Yeah. So. You know, the pandemic has done quite a number on so many people, you know, some have yeah. uh, excelled as the result of it, time within themselves, giving introspection and what they're, what that means to look within and find your journey. Uh, yeah. Others have declined significantly. Yeah. But everyone, everyone learns something. What would you say you learned? Um, during the pandemic, uh, that I, I, I enjoy my own company. <laughs> I That's, did learn. That. That's excellent. <laughs> That's, enough. Yes. That's enough right there. <laughs> <laughs> so don't. Yeah. I, I, I was like, we kind of did this. This is okay. You know, yeah. um, I, yeah, I don't know that I, I enjoy my own company that I, it's another one of those times that made me realize how strong I was, mm. even though I don't think sometimes that I'm that strong, that I could persevere and be okay in the midst of one of the most probably chaotic times I've ever lived through, you know, where mort- mortality is looking at you every day. Like somebody sneezes on me, is this the end, you know, or, exactly. or you know, or whatever. And now, and now we have, you know, the thing going on with, Russia and the Ukraine, and I'm like, I'm on the East Coast, you know, missiles fly this way really easily. And and so you're you're looking at all these things, you're watching people that you've known, you know, um, kind of die early deaths. And, mm-hmm. and it just just it's just 
a whirlwind of, of, of things right now, right? The world, once again, is in flux. I think the same way it was in the 70s and 60s right. and things right. like that. But right. I can look back on that and see some wonderful things came out of that chaos. Mm-hmm. And some wonderful things have got to come out of this, you know? So, so it, that that has it's got to, you know, it's, it's probably my saving grace, which keeps me steady, you know, and 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 not falling completely apart about this or being afraid or anything like this. I don't feel any of those things. And so, yeah. Yeah. I don't know, about, just like, wow. Yeah. And what about your mental health? Well, how do you think you've sustained it over the years, uh, given all the the challenges and tragedies and life changing yeah. events, you know, of which you spoke? Yeah. Uh, God, I'm a God girl. I'm a God girl on a very personal basis. We, Mm -hmm. we like this. (laughs) Oh, and, and, and not in the religious sense, I'm very spiritual, but my belief in connection with my source, Mm -hmm. I believe is very strong. Mm -hmm. And every time I've had to cry uncle in my life, you Mm -hmm. you know, or, or, or cry for help or whatever, I, I feel as if that, source came and 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 saved me you know or or showed me the way or opened the door so many times that at a certain point you start to just go oh okay this is this is what he does or she does or they do or you know whatever sure and and it is the foundation of everything that I am, you know it's it's really the foundation of everything I am it's not something that I, you know I walk around I don't really cross or you know not bible thumping or anything like that but it most definitely pardon me is um who i am and where i find my energy and 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 where i find my resolve and and my soft place to lay my head and Mm. i mean from a little girl from a little girl it was just like you know god please help me you know my my dad was a, a functioning high functioning alcoholic Monday through Friday, he was a wonderful, wonderful human being. Everybody loved my dad. He was a good-looking guy. He was fun. He was charming. A lot of demons. A lot of demons that we were unaware of. And then from the time he got home on Friday to, you know, we went to bed on Sunday, he was he was lit. And he was not a fun, happy drunk either. He was a very, you know, a lot of, a lot of hurt and pain came out. Sure. And and so the prayers, you know, were then like, you know, oh my God, the weekend's coming. God, please take wow. care. Of us. Please don't let Daddy, you know, drink this weekend or whatever it is, you know. And then, you know, just growing up, just other things, just just other things, you know. Or I've made a mess of my life. Help me out. Mm-hmm. Help me out. Help me out of this. And it was like all of those times, whatever it is, whoever it is would come and relieve me or give me more focus or provide for me when I didn't have. And so I don't doubt it now. I'm just rolling with it. I'm just, you know, <laughs> I'm rolling with my, my, my kids. It, it, it was such a pleasure, JG, too. At, at one point, my son, more so than anybody, he, uh, if he has friends, um, he's kind of that same person with his friend. Everybody mm-hmm. comes to, to Blade, you know, to talk. Real cool, smooth, kind of introspective guy. And, um, but if one of his friends were really going through something, he would call me and go, Mom, so and so is going through this. I need you to pray for them. Wow. And that just made me feel so good. Like, wow, this kid is like, I, I, my mom's got the hotline, you know, or whatever. 
<laughs> like I like I've seen this work in our lives. I don't know what she does, but you know, she prays. It's it's done. You know, and you know, you know. In my mind, whatever works keeps you the healthiest and keeps you grounded on this journey. That's often tumultuous. I, I just have respect for and. You know, first and foremost, I want to thank you for coming on, sharing your message. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's so important for people to hear from different perspectives and be able to place themselves, locate themselves in somebody's journey and yeah. then have the opportunity to recreate it for themselves. So thank you so much for coming on. Absolutely. My pleasure. My pleasure. And tell us where people can find your book. Okie dokie. Um, you can go to my website, www.yvonvictor.com. Easy peasy. There's a, a um, there's a big banner in there. You can see about the book and several places where the book is mentioned. Just click on that. It'll take you to the site. Doesn't cost you much. Yeah. Um, and grab that and be sure if you grab the book to come on into the group so you can um, learn some other things and have a chance to be coached. I have several lessons that I've done in there just to help you in your journey. And um, you can also find me on um, Instagram and on uh, Facebook at Yvonne Victor Life Coach. Perfect. And it's clear to us how you're uh, you're changing the narrative, but I'm going to give you the final word. Is there anything else you'd like to share? I just want everybody to really know that you are far more powerful and far more capable than you could ever believe. And just to take that one step, take that one step. That's all you need to do. Just the next step you know, towards whatever it is that you want for your life, you know, and who you want to be, how you want to experience life on this earth while we're here. That's beautiful. We're going to end there. Thank you so much again. Really enjoyed this conversation. Absolutely. It's wonderful. Thank you so much for having me, J.D. Appreciate you. For sure. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. J.D. and I want to thank our fabulous producers at I Am Music Group. And for all of you out there who want to do your own podcast, go to IamMusicGroup.com and the team will hit you back. Please be sure to like, subscribe, and follow wherever you get your podcasts. And also, leave us a review. Let us know what you think. Thank you for listening to Change the Narrative with J.D. Fuller.